The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. When you reflect on your experience today and consider how it went, did you find any suffering? Did you struggle? Was there a sense of futility? Was there some dullness or sleepiness? Aversion, desire, wishful thinking, expectation, disappointment, frustration, <laughs> unfulfilled ambition. Well, it's pretty obvious that our minds have lots of potential defilements or lots of suffering. And therefore, each of these experiences is caused, the Buddha said, by a force that visits the mind. It's not who you are. No matter how repetitive or how strong or how tenacious it seems, it's not inherent within you. It's not you. It's not part of the mind. It's, it's just a visitor. We forget this when we struggle, when we uh, you know, kind of give up, or when we're unwilling to recognize that the appearance of a difficult state of mind is the very place for establishing mindfulness. It's not as if we're supposed to wait until that difficult state passes and then we can get on with our practice. It's the very place for growing in resoluteness, in energy, in awareness, in patience, in tranquility, in non-reactivity. And these are all the qualities, all the wholesome qualities that in time appear in the mind with greater force and frequency and thereby keep the sources of our discontentment at bay. So we might ask why I mean, I know some of you have been practicing for two or three decades, have been interested in the Dharma and practicing, looking, and you might ask, well, why, why am I still bothered by these defilements? Well, they are tenacious. They are very deeply rooted in the mind through repetitive conditioning over lifetimes of not paying attention. Saito Utejaniya says, it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. So you're off the hook. <laughs> It's not your problem. Think about that. You can't do it. You can't get rid of them. That's not the way of practice for you to get rid of the defilements. Our challenge is to understand. And in that is the key of how to work with them how to understand the defilements. Because if we truly understand how this state of mind arises, how we get entangled, how long it lasts, what it does to the body, what it conditions in the body, what it conditions in the mind, what it conditions about our sense of self, 
how it influences our confidence, our energy, our sense of the future, our sense of the past. When a defilement arises and we get entangled in it, we, it conditions everything. And so there's a lot to notice about the defilements when they arise. Unfortunately, they're always unpleasant. And so our conditioned habit is to avoid them, to get rid of them, to dismiss them, to ignore them, to deny them, to minimize them, to do anything except hang out with them to learn about them. Defilements appear in the mind and if unseen, unrecognized, we will act them out. We'll act them out by speaking and by our behavior. And when we do, it only reinforces them. It only reinforces their strength. Therefore, their frequency and the intensity with which they arise. So there is benefit in just seeing them, exercising the restraint to not speak and not act them out. But that takes awareness to be able to see them. This restraint of speaking and acting out the defilements is the practice of sila. Right speech, right action that Kamala spoke about last night, that is the first platform upon which we begin to really understand, recognize, and understand how these forces work. Because it is so quick. You know, chagrin enters the mind. You know, we get a little frustrated and we get chagrined. And it's just, you know, a shrug of the shoulders, a twist of the head, a curl of the lip, and you've reinforced it, strengthened it by that behavior. Or you just lament and express the frustration with it. You've strengthened it. I sometimes think we don't appreciate just how dangerous the defilements are. They make us miserable. Whatever misery you feel in your life is one of these visitors. If we really got it, if we really saw that, if we really believed it, or if we saw it on an ongoing basis, we would be incensed. I mean, if if your neighbor was bugging you as much as your mind, <laughs> you'd have a lawsuit. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, and yet we tolerate them. Somehow we, we fail to recognize the opportunity and the responsibility to deal with them. So I'm going to give another talk. <laughs> the obligatory talk on the hindrances, the defilements, and how to work with them. And I know you've all heard it before. You could probably all give a pretty good talk on money. Many of you give a really good, probably some of you do give good talks on the <laughs> hindrances. But you know what? It doesn't matter how much you know and speak about them. We still are tormented by them. Maybe subtler, maybe less frequently or, or less intensely, but they still trip us up. Um, and some of the ubiquitous <laughs> defilements, the sloth and torpor, that our relentless visitor during the first few days of the retreat, 
and restlessness, the wandering mind, the mind that just does not pay attention, does not obey your wish, just wanders off into la-la land endlessly. These two, among all of them, are around till the very end of Dharma practice. It's not, they're not the first to go. They're the last to go. So we, we really should uh, uh, make friends with them. I mean, just acknowledge that they're around and get really familiar, really intimate with them, really understand how they trick us every time. They just fool us into identifying with them or owning them in some way. And we get ensnared. And the result is both immediate and long range. Mm. Rant. <laughs> Rant mind. What are the defilements again? Well, there any belief, behavior, thought, mood, activity, or speech that are rooted in attachment of any form, aversion of any form, or delusion of any form? Uh, <clears throat> what else is there? <laughs> I mean, hello. Uh, and sometimes the words attachment, aversion, delusion, they seem so, well, big or, you know, the kind of stuff I'm dealing with in my day-to-day -day practice doesn't feel like delusion, doesn't feel like massive aversion or massive, you know, attachment. Where and yet, even the subtlest identification with pleasant experience or resistance to the subtlest of unpleasant experience is attachment or aversion. Saito Upandita used to, still does, but used to speak often of the multiple layers of delusion in the mind. I didn't get it. That's how deluded I was. What do, you, what do you mean? Multiple layers of delusion. If you're mindful, isn't that good enough? Well, yes, if you can be mindful and understand what it is that you're aware of. And that's why when the defilements arise in the mind and we know we're irritated, or we know we're impatient, or we know we're whatever. That level of knowing is a kind of awareness. It's a, it's, a, it's a degree of mindfulness, but it's not liberating. It's not freeing, because attached to it or identified with it is this sense of self and a belief that well, if I'm aware of it and I'm not acting out, that's good enough. It takes more than that. Partly because all the defilements are rooted in restlessness. But let me be clear with you what restlessness is. Because I hear descriptions of practice sometimes called restlessness, and when I inquire what the experience is, it's not restlessness at all. It might actually be very good awareness of the rapidity of arising and passing away of phenomena. That's not restlessness. Restlessness is the wandering mind. When the mind is wandering along and there's no awareness of it, 
when you're lost in thought, you're lost in daydream, you're lost in fantasy, plans, whatever, comments, judgments, narrating, rehearsing. The amazing thing is when the mind is restless and is wandering and there's no awareness, that means we're not aware of it. We're not aware that it's happening. But you all know that when mindfulness arises to save you from eternal wandering in your mind, thankfully, when um, awareness arises and sees, oh, or recognizes, oh, wandering mind, it stops. And sometimes, without even an intention, we can reflect back on what we were just thinking about. And in a split second, your mind can see and reconstruct a sequence that's been going on for two, three, five, eight minutes. And in a split second, you can recall it all. Just like that. Something, some activity of mind knew what was going on. However, there was no awareness of it. That, this also gives us a clue as to how to work with the restlessness that accompanies all defilements. Because restlessness is mindless thinking. All defilements are mindless thought. And yet there still is some, some function of mind or some capacity of mind that is registering this. So we don't have to try to stop that. We don't have to try to stop that thinking. No matter how, what the topic is or how long it goes on. What we're doing in insight practice is arousing the awareness of it. Now that's, that might not seem like a big distinction, but in concentration practice, in samadhi practice, where you're really trying to tranquilize the mind or attain jhanas or deep absorptions of mind, the interesting difference between that kind of practice and insight practice is in jhana practice or concentration practice, you actually take a thought or a concept, which is a thought-constructed image, and attach your mind to it send your mind to it, absorb your mind in it, losing awareness of it in some way. Whereas in insight practice, we're, we're paying attention to the fact of thinking. Where in concentration practice, you want to lose your awareness of thinking. In concentration practice, when your practice is successful and you may obtain a deep concentration or tranquility, stillness of mind or absorption or even jhana, then it feels like there's no thinking because there's not the wandering mind from here to there to one content to another content. But there is an absorption in a single content, a color, a thought like loving kindness, a, uh, an image. And so we don't see the repetitive activity of mind of connecting with that thought again and again and again and again and again and again. 
which is successful concentration practice. If each of those thoughts were different, in Vipassana practice, we'd recognize, oh, that's wandering mind. So this gives us a clue as to how to work with, with all defilements because they are accompanied by restlessness. It's to be aware of thinking. Just to be aware of thinking, not to try to stop the thinking. Thoughts are not the problem. It's the lack of awareness of the thoughts that's the problem. You can have all the thoughts you want. You can think about anything you want. You have permission. Just be aware of it. So they're fueled by this restlessness. They're always accompanied by delusion. All defilements have a... I was going to say have a film of delusion. They condition a film of delusion in the mind. What that means is we're not seeing things correctly. Ignorance or avijja does not know what is going on. That's delusion. Confusion. Dullness. Now, think about this. Somebody was talking today about state of mind very dull, very heavy, torpor. And yet, with this heaviness of mind, they were actually talking about it with some clarity. I knew exactly what they were talking about. There was some knowing of it. But the hindrance or the defilement that attached to it was aversion, because I didn't like it, because it's unpleasant. Didn't see that saw the torpor, saw the heaviness of mind, the sluggishness of mind, that no matter how interested you want to be, it's, it's like a rock. Your mind is like, you know, really thick mud. It doesn't move. You, you, you can't fire it up with anything. And because of that, the aversion, it's so unpleasant. It's not painful. It's just unpleasant. It's not what we want. And so the aversion comes in, and that's what we don't see. We may see the torp, the heaviness of mind, but it's the aversion to it that we don't see that makes us struggle, makes us try to get rid of it, try to fix it, try to, well, well, and, and judge ourselves for it. Sometimes the mind is the defiled mind is uh, accompanied by ignorance, delusion, not knowing what's going on. But sometimes it knows what's going on wrongly. So we look at, we look at someone and we see behavior and we feel some judgment, some aversion. And we think that person is wrong or bad or doing something wrong. Not recognizing that it's uh, the aversion in this mind that is causing you to see and focus on that particular feeling. It's a feeling in this mind that conditions the aversion. It's not the behavior or the thing or the object out there that you see or that you hear. Somebody, Roger asked the question about sounds this morning. Some sounds you hear, fine, no problem, enjoyment, birds chirping, lovely. It's not the birds. It's the pleasantness in our mind that we get seduced by, that we get attached to. Or another sound happens, you know, somebody slams a door, drops something, and we get averse, we think, to that sound. It's not aversion to that sound. It's to the unpleasantness in the mind that we don't like. It's the unpleasantness in the mind that we get aversion to. 
the bird, the sound, the person who's slamming the door, dropping the glass, they're off the hook. It's <laughs> the feelings in here that we don't like or that we get seduced by. When, for example, defilement is, uh, delusion is accompanied by attachment or uh, of any form, it causes the mind to see only the pleasant aspect of that object. We think we're seeing things clearly. We're looking and we're seeing something clearly. But when attachment is in the mind, all we see is the pleasant aspect of that thing, that experience. When we are attached to something, we should know. We should, we should plant this understanding in the mind. We're not seeing things clearly. Or when you're averse to something, your, your own body experience or some, something outside of your body, when you're averse to something, we should, we should just have an automatic understanding, not seeing clearly, not, not seeing the full picture here. Because when aversion arises in the mind, we only see the unpleasant aspect of this that's before us. In general, of course, these defilements are deeply conditioned, habitual. We get identified with them as who I am, or we appropriate them as mine, my anger, my impatience, my fear. And when we appropriate to ourselves something, you know, that arises maybe frequently, fear, you know, shame, whatever. It makes more of it than it actually is. It, it, when, we, when we appropriate it, it gives it a, a solidity. It gives it a, a, a lifetime or it gives a, a size to it that's more than that momentary arising in that instant of fear. And so when we, when, we, when we identify with fear as mine, or I'm a fearful person, it's impossible to work. It, you don't want to work with it. There's just so much that's so much baggage that seems to come with, I'm a fearful person, or I'm an angry person. But if, it's a, if, if it can be seen as a moment of anger has arisen, well, it's just a moment of anger has arisen. And if that, if that moment is seen and recognized as, oh, anger is being known, fear is being known, jealousy is being known, irritation is being, whatever it is, is being known. In that moment, it passes away. Without that identification of it's me or it's mine or I'm an angry person, I'm a fearful person, it's gone. In that moment, we're free. In that moment, the mind is freed from the identification with that defilement, that defiled state of mind. Sometimes, because they're so habitual or so repetitive, it's hard not to think, this is how I am. And it takes, I mean, that's a wrong view. That's a wrong view. You're, you're not that way. That's not who you are. It's not yours. It is a momentarily arisen state of mind. In our observation of it, we may see how it conditions the mind, how it conditions experiences in the body, how it conditions your confidence or doubt in practice, how it conditions your energy. These are all other momentary arisings to be seen, rather than me who's got to fix it. One helpful understanding to keep in mind, to remind yourself, these states of mind arise naturally due to their specific causes and conditions. That's it. If the causes and conditions are there for aversion to arise, 
they rise. Or desire, or sleepiness, or anything else. Our task is to understand what those causes and conditions are and recognize them. So that we're not fooled by the causes and conditions that give rise to these states of mind. Awareness sees the causes and conditions, sees the state of mind. But it's wisdom that understands it. And it is wisdom that when we hear about the defilements, that they're visitors to the mind, that they're uh, conditioned to causes and conditions, that they are impermanent, that they're not you, not yours, not who you are. These understandings or this knowledge is just knowledge. But when you observe or when your awareness observes these defilements and sees these defilements in this way, it becomes liberating wisdom. We really free ourselves from identifying with these states of mind. like to point out that there is a huge difference between being fearful being uh, aware of the story of your fear you know explaining the fear uh, how it's arisen why it's arisen how often it arises so there's a big difference between being fearful, telling yourself the story of your fear, and being aware of fear. The being aware of fear is the willingness to name, or recognize, and name, this is what's going on. So often when defiled state of mind arises or any of the hindrances arise, of course we're entangled in it. And it is difficult to identify it, to really, to, to, to kind of emerge from it enough to objectify it and say, oh, this is what is going on. If we're trying to get rid of it, or if we get caught in acting it out or explaining it, we're in the middle of it. And there's no objectivity. There's no, there's no liberating awareness of it. Sometimes we know we're angry. We're so angry, <laughs> you know. But we're, we're in it. And we're just, you know, obsessed. We're not, we may not be speaking it, we may not be acting it, but we're, the mind is obsessing. That is, that, that's not awareness. That's not mindful awareness. Mindful awareness is the ability to, to really objectify, oh, this is awareness of anger, fear, jealousy, whatever it is. Um, it's helpful, as you've heard us say, and uh, display for you to, to put your awareness in the passive voice. Oh, anger's being known. Sleepiness is being known. Uh, fear is being known. Jealousy is being known. Boredom's being known. Doubt is being known. Anxiety's being known. Panic's being known. Because as soon as you do that, you see how impersonal it really is. It's not about you. It's something that has arisen in the mind, 
If we're not aware of it, of course, then it becomes me. But when we are aware of it, it becomes just something to observe, like you know, a deer walking through the forest, or a snake slithering through the forest, or whatever it is. <clears throat> I want to also um, distinguish uh, for you about two ways of dealing with any of the defilements over the course of this retreat, other retreats, your Dharma career, you will hear endless uh, suggestions for working with the, each of the defilements. You know, when you get angry, practice loving kindness. Oh, when you get angry, go for a walk, have a cup of tea. Uh, you know, think about the, the good times you had with that person, or how good that person is, or what, there's, there's just a lot to do. Or when you, uh, you know, get sleepy, stand up, open your eyes, pull your ears, walk faster, uh, sit a little straighter, uh, chant silently to yourself. There's a lot of antidotes, but the antidotes are a uh, Buddha-approved way of suppressing them, or getting rid of them, or temp tamping them down. But in and of themselves, they don't lead to understanding. I'm not saying they're not useful. They're useful. But they only have a temporary relieving effect. So this gives us a clue as to when to use them, and when not to when any defilement is overwhelming you, meaning it is really strong. It's just tidal wave. It's just taking you away completely and you just cannot get out of it. Then an antidote is okay to use. You have permission to use an antidote, so to speak. But a lot of our experience of the defilements is not being overwhelmed by them, being totally carried away by them. It's like they're niggling. They're just there, just kind of chewing away, just kind of niggling, just kind of mm, siphoning off our peace of mind a lot. At that time, you don't need an antidote. We really need to understand how is this happening. And that Using an antidote is more of a concentration type of practice, uh, a replacement practice or an avoidance practice or a, a kind of a calming practice. But insight practice would ask you to open your attention to experience this defilement and the experience of the defilement fully with awareness, to open to it, to really feel what fear feels like rather than trying to get rid of it. But really, to really feel what this fear or this anxiety or impatience or boredom. So boring. Great. Feel it. You think you'll die. You won't. Nobody's ever died of boredom <laughs> or restlessness. It, it feels like you will. You think you will. You get a sense that you will but you won't. It takes a willingness to intentionally experience unpleasantness. You have to be willing to experience unpleasantness. I mean, we're going to experience unpleasantness anyway. You might as well do it with awareness. Because if you do it with awareness, then you can begin to understand this is what it is. It's, it's, it's something like building up your capacity to willfully experience unpleasantness. And you have to do it a little bit, little bit, little bit at a time. But gradually you can, you can be willingly take on experiencing unpleasantness and not get caught in any defiled reaction to it. Insight practice 
seeks to understand the defilements, to really uh, understand what they feel like, what triggers them, how they're conditioned into being, how they condition other experiences. And it's investigation and curiosity and the energy and the willingness to, to kind of play with them that makes insight practice really interesting. Insight practice is not just about enduring something, waiting for it to get better. I thought that when I first started working with, uh, uh, first started practicing with Upandita. I'd been doing retreats uh, with in the West for about uh, seven or eight years, and then Upandita came and offered a retreat over in Massachusetts. And uh, my understanding at that time was, uh, just sit and be mindful. You know, eventually you'll get enlightened. Uh, that was it. That that's that's the 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 fullness of my understanding or misunderstanding. Well, I'd been practicing with him for uh, a couple of months, and at one point he asked me about my understanding, and I said, "Well, don't you just sit, pay attention, until puff, <laughs> or wow, or whatever." And in his way, he just burst out laughing. He didn't really burst out laughing, but he just was like shocked, I think. And so he asked me, uh, who, are you, who, who are your teachers? <laughs> of course, they were all practicing with him at the same time. So I had to be a little careful. We really want to understand how the process of awareness and insight leading to wisdom and liberation, how this happens. If we're just enduring, we, we may not be learning anything. If we're just getting rid of momentarily, you know, suppressing through some antidote or replacing through some uh, skillful and mindful practice, we may not be learning either. So inside practice, and I hope you'll take this on willingly, is to really openly accept or acknowledge, oh, this is what's going on. Now what can I learn about it? What can I learn about it? To really get curious about, well, your life. I mean, this is, this is your life. This is it. I mean, it's not like this is a rehearsal. It's not like, you know, you get a second chance this time. You'll get another chance later, but... Um, how many times do we have to see, you know, our anxiety, our impatience, or before we say, look, I've had enough of this. Let me really understand this. Because through understanding, we... It's understanding, it's wisdom that frees the mind from the torments that cause so much suffering. A lot of it is, a lot of our um, wrong view in practice is uh, not understanding this, not understanding that it's not knowing, not believing, not having faith in the understanding that it's through intimate familiarity with these states of mind that we gain the knowledge to not be seduced by them, to not be entangled in them. And to see them as just these impersonally arisen, temporary uh, states of mind. It's helpful to, as I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, to when 
you recognize that you're having a difficult time, that you're struggling with some experience, to come out of the struggle and just to say, you know, okay, let me, let me reframe this a little bit. Instead of struggling, trying to get rid of the torpor, trying to overcome the sleepiness. You know, I, I don't know how many years I struggled with sleepiness. In my first three-month retreat many years ago, there was six weeks in the middle of it where I was just sleepy. I just had this insatiable <laughs> sleepiness. It just, I tried everything. But I now realize in hindsight that I was struggling with it the whole time. I didn't really accept this is the way it is. Clunk. It was, this is the way I don't want it to be. <clears throat> and kept pushing against it, trying to get rid of it, trying to fix it, trying to figure it out, trying to hold myself differently, try to anything except this is the way it is. This is the way it is. When you just drop in, drop into this is the way it is, it's actually not that bad. Whether it's aversion or sleepiness or fear, it's not that bad because it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. A physical feeling, a mental feeling. Think about that. How, how substantial is this feeling or a thought? They're less substantial than a fingernail. They're just... <laughs> and yet, they control our life. If we can get anything out of this talk, get the understanding, please, that practice is about acknowledging the way things are and being willing to feel them. And it's not like you've got to endure them. They don't last. They don't last long at all. Part of our difficulty in working with the defilements is this unexamined assumption that they're going to last for a long time. That it's just you know, the sleepiness is going to last the whole sitting. The anger is going to last until that person gets out of my life. <laughs> the, mind, the mind conjures up these vague, diffuse misbeliefs and assumptions that when we don't willingly just take, turn around and take a look and say, well, that's a bunch of crock. That's just a... That, it can't be true. And yet, when we don't look at it, we just feel like it's true. And we, and we act on it, or we don't act on it. We buy into it. We believe it. Sadoi Tejaniya says, Yogis make the mistake of expecting, or hoping for, good experience rather than being willing and trying to work with the defilements. Now think about it. When you plan coming for a retreat, 16 day this year, 16 day retreat, great. <coughs> Man, you know, you settled in and then you got 14 days of just cruise. Yes. I mean, you plan on, wow, how good it'll be, right? Did you plan on how many Hundreds of moments of defilement you were going to work with? No, we, we don't. I mean, it's a trick of the mind <laughs> to get you here. <laughs> really? And then the game plan, the game, the game plan changes when you get here. And I was like, oh, okay, we brought a bag of defilements for you to work with. <laughs> I mean, it's so obvious, isn't it? We don't make plans for dealing for 16 days with the defilements. <laughs> we didn't plan on this. Of course, we don't have to plan. It would happen anyway without us making any plans. But Are you willing to look? Are you willing to work with the defilements? Some of the time? It doesn't take, 
doesn't take much interest. I mean, a little, a little interest, a little curiosity, you can really learn a lot. But it does take continuity. It is, it is the continuity that builds up the momentum of mindfulness or awareness that uh, prevents being overwhelmed by any of the defilements. And in the first few days of a retreat, as we've just been enduring, uh, the momentum of our mindfulness is pretty weak. It's pretty weak, and, and we see it. So we're we're particularly vulnerable to the uh, defilements. Uh, when they arise, they take over, and it's really hard to remember that we want to work with them skillfully. But even by now, and by the end of the third day, there's some momentum, and there's uh, a little more. Uh, we we recognize the defilements a little quicker. Uh, we're not quite as entangled in them, and as we as we continue with the um, frequency of our noting, the frequency of our recognition, uh, the momentum gets stronger and the defilements get uh, temporarily weaker. So rest assured that you're doing the right thing, even if you've been struggling all day with the defilements. Uh, as long as you've been aware of them and working with them, trying to uh, engage them and recognize them, then this is what's required. As long as you're, you're uh, aware of them and working with them, this is the work that needs to be done. In time, there'll be uh, less, uh, less bother. In order to understand the defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the defilements, they'll dissolve. Once you're able to handle defilements, good experiences will naturally follow. Most yogis make the mistake of expecting good experiences rather than trying to work with the defilements, Uttajaniya says. So I encourage you to Take it to heart. Really re, re, reframe your understanding of what, what we're doing here and what we're doing with the defilements and uh, the, the benefit of engaging them and working with them. Uh, liberation is possible. Temporary liberation and, and more enduring liberation on a long retreat and permanent liberation uh, through the development of deeper insightful understanding. So let's sit for a moment, let the words quiet down. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.